Welcome all of you to Nikki Lyle Creative Presents with Industry Leaders, where today I'm joined by special guest Mark Coy-Smith. Uh, welcome, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really pleased to be part of what you're doing with this. I think it's really amazing what you're doing and uh, you said it was the final one, right? So, Final one of this series, yeah. <laughs> make it worthwhile. I'm sure you definitely will. So would you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Right, so in terms of business and what I did, I, I went to Brighton University and I studied illustration, uh, which was shared with the graphics class. So there's a bit of kind of crossover between illustration and graphics, which I'm really interested in. Um, from there, I had a really huge, we, we had um, access to the letterpress, screen print, photography, all of that stuff as part of our course, which was really great. And I had, um, I spent a lot of my time in the screen print rooms. Um, so in my final year, um, when I was doing a bit of research, I think it was towards a dissertation that I was working on, um, I wanted to just search online and find a place which had a big list of printmakers or illustrators with, or, that used print in their work, uh, and it just didn't really exist. Um, so I just thought I'd buy peopleofprint.com just on a whim and just put a big list together of people who use print in their work. Uh, and that's kind of how people of print was spawned lots of other things happened before i turned it into a company um, and then following on from that you know sister companies were born from people of print limited um like pin badges and we, we do lots of print events and workshops and we have a print service and then as a result of that and knowing some of the people that i've met i'm also co-director of graphic media which we're trying to bring graphic back as a magazine which it I think it started in 2003 and the final issue was in November 2011 and it went all online and um, we're looking to bring it back into a printed format which would be really great so yeah just uh, quite busy with a lot of different things really at the moment. Yeah no it's, it sounds like you've got all these great like subsidiary businesses and collaborations especially graphic I can't wait to see that um, be brought back I think that's quite interesting because maybe was that after the last recession then that kind of dissolved and then you got involved with will from protein to yeah so from my understanding um i mean i don't know exactly what happened with all of the finances because i wasn't part of the team back then but just from my understanding of how the model works you know it was um it was it was bi-monthly so there's a lot of publications going out a lot of work making editorial content content like that is quite expensive using really expensive papers I think they got quite a big investment and went down the kind of distribution route. Um, and then having, you know, expensive products going down in WH Smith that just, if they're not sold, they just get pulped. Um, they just basically rip the covers off and pulp them and, and then get their money back kind of thing. And so I, I'm not exactly as to totally as to why it dissolved as a company, uh, but it didn't, Graphic Magazine didn't exist as a company. It got, the IP of graphic and the, the brand, I suppose, got bought by Will from Protein. And it's been powered by Protein online since 2014. Um, and then we featured graphic in Print Isn't Dead issue three, um, element three. So we had a six page spread. I've always loved graphic. I subscribed to it when I was at university. Um, amazing magazine, amazing content. Um, and it, it's really sad that it just didn't exist in a printed format anymore, you know, because that's, that's how it started and that's how 
it built its audience it's kind of the reverse way now 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 people will make an instagram account a facebook account build an audience and then create a product using the the online audience to sell it to whereas graphic was quite the reverse i felt it was like graphic was the magazine that people then followed online and it's got you know it's got a huge audience uh, millions of people around the globe we've got like over half a million followers on facebook which we all know is kind of that's changed its algorithm and doesn't really show it to show your content to a lot of people like it like it used to but yeah we've got some great things in the pipeline great collaborations um working with some amazing people we've confirmed Iko koenig from germany he runs sport um to design issue issue well it's actually going to be issue 194 i think it is 193 was the final issue so we're going to be like you know the relaunch issue 194 keep it all as graphic we've been researching all of the old content from you know i've been buying in all of the old issues going through looking at kind of how they structured their articles what they were featuring but taking a new look on that but trying to keep with the same ethos that graphic has always had um, but in that process, we have to make money to be able to do that and keep it running and grow our audience because uh, they didn't even have an Instagram account. We, we started an Instagram account. I think we're heading up to 75,000 followers now in a relatively short space of time. Um, you know, so I have a lot of faith in graphic. I, I believe that um, Will and I and the, and the team that we're building editorially can do a really really great job with uh with relaunch not only as a magazine but as a kind of a community for the design world um whereby people can benefit in multitude of different ways not from just receiving a magazine we're going to do a lot of stuff more online now which is obviously where a lot of things are moving as well in the, in the design world so yeah very excited about the graphic stuff very cool a lot of hard work I'm not taking one penny salary from it at all. All of the money is going into a kitty, which is being saved up to pay for a small team of people. Starting with the editors, we're going to rebuild the website so we have editorial content, and then we're going to do an actual magazine um, launch campaign once we've got content in, spreads made, digital renders, and then we will, you know, have like a plan where it will be biannual, uh, subscription-based predominantly biannual magazine 256 pages of just yeah amazing content so hopefully people get behind it yeah, yeah. no that's that's great i can't wait to see it once it's uh, relaunched again i'll be subscribing for sure so i want to go back to the initial um how you set up people print because i think that's quite an inspiring story it wasn't like you just set it up and were given a pot of money you exactly. really started that from the ground up yeah, so, you know, I've, I'm not saying that I've never been supported by my family. My family have never really had the money to kind of go, here's like an ISO or a fund or whatever. So, you know, I worked as a, 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 is it a kitchen porter KP when I was at university, peeling potatoes for the Sunday roasts. I've done like really kind of uh, laborious work, just like lifting sheets, peel, putting it on a machine, I've sorting mail, all of, all of that stuff just to kind of, you know, I've always had to kind of pay my way for any anything like that. Um, but my family have always been very supportive with what I do. Obviously, I don't want to be saying that they never supported me, but they made me like achieve it myself. If that made any sense. Um, and again, um, I was very lucky. Um, I was at university and I started getting commissions in 
from bands, record labels, um, different magazines, through kind of word of mouth in a way. I don't even know how they found Crystal Castles. I did a project with. They found my website. I don't know how they found it. They just I think they just liked the picture and they said, "Can we use this as our uh, record sleeve?" Uh, and I was like, "Okay, yep, amazing. As long as you credit me." And I was like, "I didn't even get paid for the first one." Um, and I was just like, "Yeah, hey, I have a record, you know." And then Brighton University, the 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 tutors that we had, and some of the amazing people that we had come through in professional practice lectures and stuff, teaching us how to like work i suppose professionally on a business level um you know working with license fees to what extent is the artwork going to be used and all of this so when they asked for it to be i think it was the seven inch they used it on first which was the crime wave uh, edition then they wanted to use it on the 12 inch um so then my question was you know how many how many are you printing What's the extent of the run, basically? How, you know, and then we, I licensed it out for four hundred pounds, and to me, I was like, great. You know, I'm second year student, and I'm doing this. I did lots of fan posters and T-shirts, and lots of screen, lots of screen printed stuff. Um, and I guess, yeah. What, what was the question? The question was kind of like how it started. Yeah. How? Well, this is like one of my favorite parts of the story is that you literally started this yourself from scratch and built it up and just like how you made it happen yeah so I, I was a freelance illustrator essentially but i had people to print in the background so pe people to print to me was essentially just a list of people but it was public i made the website and anyone could people wanted to be on people of print because they were a screen printer or they did printmaking or they did graphic design and had a zine or a book or something um and i had my address on it because back in the day do you remember our old old websites i'm talking 2007 yeah 2008 and it's like html on the right and it's blue that kind yeah. of thing you yeah, know? yeah um and it's like everyone would have their website with their work on and then they would have links and the links page would be just their their friends and people that they like the work of i suppose people of print was a links page that's how it started. It was, and, and that's kind of how the website kind of functioned back then. People would share the work of other people and that's kind of like surfing the web, wasn't it? You would go to a website, you would be like, oh, this person likes all these people. Then you would click on their links and you're just kind of browsing through this kind of network of, of cool pages. Um, things started to change a lot when obviously Facebook came about because people would be sur surfing or just looking on surfing the web I hate that <laughs> but you know people would be looking in one place and then be directed out from that place to a website to an article to a thing and i remember the day when i had more followers than coca-cola for instance because no one was bothered about coca-cola you know what i mean like yeah. you, would, you would follow coca-cola but obviously when they started introducing they, they monetized it and then they did the algorithm they completely changed it all um it it did have an impact you know like for, for instance we had ninety thousand followers on instagram when it was all chronological so at some point pretty much if they're online someone would see your post in their feed and now we have two hundred and two thousand followers and it shows it to roughly around 10 percent of those people so around twenty thousand people you'll see unless we pay to have a further reach or somehow it gets shared more so sometimes just they take off i don't i have no idea so, you know some just get absolutely taken off without any paid 
marketing engagement. I'm sure everybody's aware of that and can see how that's happened. Um, but yeah, so race essentially started with nothing, um, had people a friend in the background. I actually went to Bristol um, straight after university. I started playing ice hockey and I was working in a call center. I was doing illustration work for skateboard designs. I did heroin skateboard blackout series. I did a lot of little eye dents for um, Bella Union. I did I actually I did the Bella Union Records logo and stuff, Beat Foxes and things like that, all through Universal um, and other. Well, not that wasn't all for Universal. That was through Bella Union. Um, but yeah, lots of different kind of illustration work, and it was very much hands and mouth, you know, and late invoices. You know, oh, your invoice needs this particular thing added to it. Three months later, I've already put sent the invoice, so it's six months late. And oh, you know, it's one of those things where I was like borrowing money from friends to pay for rent and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the things I was I was extremely lucky with is I took well, Crystal. I think I told you about this, and you know, Crystal Castle has actually used my work outside of the license agreement. And they printed T-shirts for at Reading Festival and sold thousands of them. Um, so we, I actually went down the legal route with with it with them, and they ended up buying buying not threatening to sue, but it would have been a hefty chunk. But they they ended up buying the copyright of the image, so they actually own that image now, and they can do what they want with it. But that is what gave me the funds to be able to. I, I did a, I did an internship in New York with. An amazing um, company called Post Exposed. They no longer exist. Um, the the one guy's moved on to work at Pentagram, and the lady is a full time parent. Um, but it was they were the best years of my life, and it was an unpaid internship. I paid for all my flights, all my accommodation. I was out there for three months, and I met the most amazing people. I met people like Killer Acid. I met people like K Rock. I met all of this just incredible. Uh, group of people that are working in print and design and the culture out there is just just amazing for print and it that kind of inspired me upon my return to be like right let's do something more with people of print rather than my own work let me talk about other people let so and I'm not a writer in it by any means I'm you know I can waffle on and talk about things but I'm not a professional writer but I would I would you know document my visits to different people's studios I would you know, come back to England and I would say, hey, Stu from Lovenscape, can I come into your studio, take some photos and feature that? And I suppose that's very similar to what you're doing is showcasing the work of other people. It's, it's, it's not about you directly in your work. No. Uh, it's, it's, and that's kind of how it kind of grew, I suppose, is, is by creating a community. And that's, I think, where we're a bit similar. It's that kind of love the community and, and every time I run one of these talks I want to speak to that person yeah. <laughs> so I have things that I want to find out and I guess that whole like interesting people are interested and people want to communicate with with people or organizations or brands that have built communities and you go within that hub and there's a kind of kudos of like if you select some for people of print there's a reason you've selected them and then you're like showing off their work and they're getting discovered and they're sharing it and then I mean, how did you grow your followers at People of Print to start with? It was absolutely crazy. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I had no business plan. I had no intention of turning it into a limited company. It was just I got advised to do so because of the turnover and whatever. 
and what was actually happening and the fact that um, when you create a limited company it's a separate legal entity from yourself so if anything were to go wrong it would be the, the company's liability rather than myself and making myself bankrupt and things like that which has never been a problem but um, it, it's it's wise to do that um, so yeah it's through a bit of advice I've had really good mentorship through um, a guy called Ian Leggett um, he was the he was the accountant for Felix Dennis um, who made Dennis Publishing so you know I think it was a big issue Viz magazine all of the old computer magazines um, yeah, Dennis Publishing is quite a big company, um, and, and Felix Dennis was a multi-millionaire kind of, uh, yeah, you should look him up, he's kind of a bit yeah, of a, so. yeah, check, check out Oz Magazine, you know, the old, um, I think it's the 60s, 70s style, um, and, and there was a person who actually, fe we featured in issue two of our magazine, he's a collector of Oz Magazine, um, so we went to his house and took all the photographs of all of his collection of all these old 70s things, and and um, they're just beautifully printed in spot lipo colours and that kind of has a bit of an influence in what we do with postazine, you know, printing in spot colours rather than just full colour CMYK or digitally printing it. So we kind of print um, our postazines as if as if it were made in the 60s, I suppose. Yeah, well, that's um, really cool. So how's the past year been for you? And yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, you know, we, like I say, okay, I just did a little bit of a breakdown of the company. So we've got People of Print, the overarching company. Um, we offer print events, print service, print consultation. People come to us for advice or whatever. We can help them through different things. Um, we've worked with Levi's in store, printing li live onto T-shirts. We can source materials for people. We can, you know, uh, equipment, anything like that to the People of Print. Um, that then branched off into publishing through we, we actually did a book with Thames and Hudson mm -hmm. um, which you know they are a big publishing house I didn't have the funds to create the book up front and I don't think Kickstarter was really kind of knocking about at that point um, to the level that it is now um, so I reached out to the publishing route where you get an advance you make the book they get it printed in China they make all the profit off it and you've got to pay your advance back from the royalties and I just felt a little bit robbed so actually you know we've sold thousands of these books we they actually went into the second run so people have print book for Thames and Hudson you know it's great because it it's in Waterstones it went to Frankfurt book fair did all of this we were like they used all of our identity for their their kind of main um book fair displays um and I can't say that it hasn't been a good thing because it, it has been good however financially I haven't seen a penny other than the £5,000 which was split between two people me and Andy Cook who made it together and it took us about a year and a bit to make so it's less than minimum wage you know it's it's a lot of hard work so there are pros and cons you know with with working with them in um, a kind of, what do I call it? a traditional publishing model um, which then led us on to print um, our own magazine so we actually went for Kickstarter for the first two issues uh, I'm going to show you, I don't know if anyone in the room can see yeah, this, amazing. But, um, but yeah, they're still printed in spot colours, so we've got kind of fluorescence in there. Um, the first issue was actually designed by me and Cody Lee, it was all in-house, and it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the best designed, you know, because it's our first ever 
go at doing it, but we were like, hey, let's just do it, you know? And it worked out great. We we sold out really quickly. And then we moved, we, we were very ambitious by saying we would do it quarterly um, because every three months comes around very quickly. You know, you've got the printing times, you've got this proofing times, you've got to get all the content in and you don't realize, you know, working with designers, a lot of people are very design savvy, but there are a lot of designers out there that will send files that aren't suitable or not even in CMYK or not even at the right resolution. Um, so you have to be, we, we learned by the third issue basically, like how to get it to work. And we've got great sponsorship by Hewlett Packard. Um, and that then led into posting. So, uh, and like, as I mentioned in a previous talk with you, um, posterzine spawned out of the fact we didn't have enough space in the magazine that was already printed for an interview for ICA. So we created a supplement and that supplement goes a little bit like this. I don't know if we've got an ICA one, have we? Else, we've got an ICA. I think we do have issue one, but essentially it is, it folds down to A4, it has a front cover and then it it has a, an interview oh, sorry it has an introduction with them with a little bit of uh, kind of an insight as to who they are what they do their illustration or whatever holds that into the main interview and then holds that into a massive a1 print of the front cover i don't know if you can see that yeah no i but can it's, wow. it's massive and it's you know we work with spot colors we work with uh we're sponsored by gf smith and we're sponsored by Precision, who have been an absolutely massive help. Uh, so one piece of advice, I suppose, is that kind of, uh, there's, you know, there's collaboration in a way, collaboration and partnerships, and they have really, really helped us to be able to create, you know, for instance, an A1 double, you know, spot color print would, would normally sell it for around 25 pounds. But because it's actually classed as a magazine, um, we've got our own ISSN number, which has a barcode there, look, you see, so it's registered with the British Library. Um, we can't sell that for £25. Do you understand what I mean? It's kind of yeah, a crazy cool. thing. It's like you can you can have the exact same print from the exact same screen. You print it on a T-shirt, but you can only sell it for 20 or 30 quid. But you put it on a nice piece of paper and you can sell it for 150 or more. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very, very weird concept with that. This is the first issue, by the way. Spot. I was, I was like, let's make it really bright. Neon. I don't know if you can see the neons. But yeah, this was the interview that we we couldn't fit in. But I was like, Ika, can you send us over up to four hundred words? He's like, I'm getting it sorted. And um, yeah, he sent over this amazing interview by Liv Sedal, who used to work for It's Nice That. Um, and we were like, right, we've got to do something with this. And because he, he was like, oh, don't include me in this issue then if you can't fit the interview in. So we were like, no, we'll do a supplement. So it cost me extra. Um, but that's how Postazine was spawned. It was kind of like an accident. And this was actually a follow up from a university project that I did. So I actually made these uh, to showcase my work to send out to people in order to get a job. Mm. But I never got a job. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So it's, you know, it's like how ideas morph into each other using kind of, I suppose, creativity and logic at the same time, uh, trying to be a little bit business savvy with the financial side of it. Um, I always have a phrase, which is like, if you're saving money, you're making money. So if you're, you know, if you're getting a discount, you're essentially saving money if you're going to be selling the, the copies. Um, 
and from that we were like okay well wh where are we going to sell it we need somewhere to sell it so we were like we made a shop and then that shop turned into a marketplace where we would sell other people's stuff on there as well and then since then that's grown into its own thing which has been a huge huge battle because uh, we started off just on a simple store um you know and you, you that, that's one of the things that i suppose with entrepreneurs is i could have just at that point just kind of gone oh i sod this i'm not bothering it's too much work it's hard or you stick with it and be persistent and make it work and um we've stuck with it i've literally thrown money at it like left right and center I've, i could have bought a house for you know what i've invested in the department store um and i'm very happy to always invest money back into my company for the greater good of the, the print community um so then we have the store and then on the store we had we were selling pin badges that we were making and then pin badges became its own separate company because that was doing really well so we separated it and that's become its own thing with its own manager um yeah so what i you know it's about kind of a mixture between trying to make something that is meaningful for the community um something that is viable and profitable um or supported by sponsorships or or whichever kind of partnerships you can get um essentially if you don't have the cash flow you can't make anything happen yeah so you either need to you you, you either have to be business savvy with it and make a profit um but I, I think there's a difference between being kind of like a really brutally profit driven company and then a kind of community orientated uh company that is the profits are used to benefit the company and throwing back in, you know, to redevelop things that aren't working on a site or do do something or introduce a grant, which we've introduced two different grants and things like that. So yeah, I don't I don't know. It's just very organic, very organic growth. Um and I've like I said, I've never written a business plan. Never. And you've just kind of gone with it. And it seems that there's been like offshoots and things have snowballed and I'm exactly the same. Like the minute some money's made somewhere there. I'm like, okay, what can I invest that's going to do something for the community or support it in some way? And that's, for me, it's purpose-driven first. Mm -hmm. It's the supply to a demand. And then you think, okay, how can I monetize this to then develop it further or to put it into something else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, being driven by. there's been chances where I could have just literally made like millions of pounds and kind of sold out a little bit, you know? Um, but for instance, with department store, we could have opened it up to anybody could sign up and then it would be like Etsy and we would just get loads and loads, you know, it would be like that. And I would have made loads of tons of money, but it wouldn't be curated. And yeah. I, I kind of, uh, I'm kind of against Etsy in a way because there's so much plagiarism on there. Um, for instance, Anthony Burrell, um, put up a picture once of how many posters there are on Etsy saying work hard and be nice to people that aren't his. Yeah, yeah and you know I, I cannot allow that to happen as a designer um for instance we had one in we had one person who it got brought to our attention that they were plagiarizing multiple artists so it wasn't just one artist there was like various different styles and they're plagiarizing them all and we just instantly just took them off the site and was just like we don't allow that i'm sorry um yeah and that's great there has to be curation there has to be management as well and, and you really appreciate that being an illustrator yourself as well and knowing absolutely that like it there's nothing worse than it you know and uh also you know it it's kind of funny how um i've had the other side of it as well where things are coincidental where 
some people have thought of the same idea, but just from a different corner of the world. And then you get accused of plagiarism when in fact you've got notes in your book from three years ago that you actually, you know, for instance, you know, department store, the, the name department store, I always like to call things what they are, you know, so pin badges limited. They're, they're pin badges. We, we own pin badges limited. And the website is called pin badges. And that's what it is. Department store. What is it? The reason why I call it department store is because I wanted multiple sellers to be on there. Like, and I was thinking of the case of like kiosk in Selfridges, and Selfridges is a department store, so I called it department store. But there was an artist in London that had set up a shop, a physical shop called department store, and we were accused of plagiarism there. But that it's not, that isn't plagiarism, if you know what I mean. It's it came through our own channels and our own thoughts of of that. And then there's been multiple examples of things where other people have coincidentally done a very, very similar thing to somebody else. And then they've complained to us saying, this is exactly like this person's work. And it is up to them, my discretion to then say, well, look, you know, it isn't quite the same. And I can't accuse this person of plagiarism. But when it is literally blatantly plagiarized, I, I'll just take them off the store. You know? yeah. And you can tell the difference when it is blatantly plagiarized. So tell us a bit about like uh pin badges because i i was saying to you earlier i'd love to do an industry leaders pin badge at one point i know yeah yeah we'd love to help you with it um so basically you can show us yeah i've got loads here actually um just a little look i've got a board here and we've just we've got we've got thousands of them but we've we've worked with some amazing clients um so here we go some here that we've got. This is a small board that we have behind us. How do you um, get all your clients, Macroy? Because you've got such impressive partnerships as well with some big brands and businesses people would like die to work with. Do they come to you? Do you go to them? Uh, okay, so the Nike thing that we've um, got, which is a Black Lives Matter set of pins which are coming out, yeah, um, that actually came from a sports person. She is a runner who is sponsored by Nike or works with Nike. Um, obviously just, I think, saw it online, got in touch. And again, you know, we are the most affordable and quickest turnaround in the UK and we pride ourselves on that. So we've just basically made ourselves quicker and better than any other company that's in the UK. So they come to us and if then we've had We've had out of like about a thousand different orders, we've had like one or two where they've had discrepancies with maybe the color wasn't quite right, and we'll just do it again for them. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of, I suppose, kind of like how Apple work with their customer service with with pin badges. We try and we try and do that. We are a very small team, so sometimes it's hard to like answer every single email immediately, or whatever. But we, you know, if you look at our Google reviews on pin badges, everyone's just super chuffed with how we're how we deal with it and that's down to Kelsey. Say hello Kelsey. Hey Kelsey. <laughs> I'll show you her. She's, she's uh, hello. Yeah she, she's getting those emails answered and getting them done but um, yeah so pin badges actually started with this pin here. Okay so all it was was print isn't dead magazine and it started with this pin which is basically the print isn't dead lockup. So it's made with, I think it's made with Swiss type faces who sponsored us for the first issue or second issue of our mag. I made the lockup myself 
And I just thought, Do you know what? That'll make a nice sticker. That'll make a nice pin. And I, I think I got 500 pins made. I actually got them made with a different a competitor company in the UK um, back in the day. And it must have just resonated with people. Um, I don't, you know, obviously, print isn't dead covers so many grounds you know printmaking illustration graphic design publishing um all of all of that kind of overarching kind of creative kind of field but also you know i've had people that people that are journalists that are like buying these pens people that are authors and writers and that kind of stuff so um and we sold out and we're like shit let's get another batch in and you know and it and it really took off from there uh, and then I was like, well, do you know what? We can make these for people too. So let's just offer a service where we make them for people. Uh, we started selling, we, we, on department store, we had a, one collection which just sold, I think we had about 15 or 20 different people that we'd selected their pins that we liked. Um, and then people would just come to us from then onwards and they were just it, very much word of mouth. Um, I think we, at the moment, we put, Facebook ads on, we put on, I think it's like $5 a day for the whole month, just saying we can make pins for you. I mean, it'll be worthwhile looking into the insights to see how many it reaches, but um, it's just constantly there, isn't it, reminding people that um, we can offer that service. Um, and Facebook ads, uh, well, I say Instagram ads, um, which is through Facebook ads. Um, have been really, really useful. Um, but also sometimes it can feel like you're peeing in the wind with it. You know, if you've got, you're not using the right kind, you're not attacking the right demographic, your product's too expensive, the photographs of your products aren't very good. Um, and I think I suppose over time, we've learned what is good and what sells, you know. We've, we've yeah. got like 400 sellers on our department store and we can see all the statistics of sales. And we can see what sells and what doesn't sell. And if you look at it, it is basically things that are photographed really well. The description is really good and people have taken time to, to make their page look good, their product look good, and at a very reasonable price considering it's gonna be mail ordered. If you're gonna be spending 350 pounds on a print, you're gonna to wanna to know that's good quality, don't you? You wanna you know, close up pictures of the paper, the fact that how it's made, what paper it is on. So, you know, for instance, Ike Koenig, again, one of, he's, a, he's an excellent designer. He sells his prints for 299 euros and I've got two or three of his prints. Um, and they're absolutely amazing. You know, like they come through really, really well packaged and they're small runs signed. And um, I don't know, it's a very weird thing how you can pay, pay a lot of money for a bit of ink on some paper, but it's how you make that value, I suppose, to people. Why, why do people, why do people buy something that is rare? What, what makes somebody, it's, it's almost like a weird phenomenon, isn't it? It's like, there's only 50 of them ever made. I've got one of those 50 and yeah. I like it. I think it's the devils in the detail. People like to spend their money on things that is of value and gives them an experience. It's like, that's why Apple have done so well. You go every, every single, touch point of the brand even when you keep the box from the phone it's like why are you keeping that box you don't need to keep it but yeah. like the big reveal how it slides off you're like oh and just everything oh, about it. The consideration i say this to designers all the time or like illustrators when they're looking for work i was like 
if you just put in an extra 20% of effort with your approach, then you're going to outwork 80% of other people that can't take that little bit more time. And yeah. it really pays off because you're saying you're providing a premium product or service. Yeah. Just that more so effort. Let me, let me go back to what I was saying before about not making a business plan. Okay. So for me, a business plan is like an outdated way of doing things. It's, you know, let's do a five-year business plan with projections of this and that and often the numbers are all whacked up to make it sound like you're going to be a millionaire in five years and whatever um i'm not saying that i haven't taken time to be really considerate considerate about what we're going to do and make a plan of attack and i think a plan of attack based off something that's already kind of working is the way that we do it and that's what i mean by it's organically growing you know for instance the list of people on the site then people contacted me can i be on the site so then we would charge people 30 pounds to be on the site and you know and that's how we could monetize it make money to keep it running and i think that's a very fair fee to be added to the directory and then we had people sending us their prints and then we're like well we can't just keep the prints at, at my house in bristol when i was living in bristol we need to do an exhibition so i actually lost money in doing the exhibition but through doing the exhibition we met loads of people from london who came over and things and it's uh i've met a lot of people at going to uh, talks and things like that you know going going to events when when we could go to them and things like this like what you're doing now you know um anybody's welcome to contact me through through my email i'm sure we'll give it out at the end or whatever or just through people a friend um we're really happy to kind of just chat and meet new people and hear about their projects and and try and see if we can integrate that with what we're doing. I mean, we've done a lot of really cool collaborations with brands and individuals. We've we've just done um, a range of pins by Ben Normanson, who used to be the graphic designer for Drop Dead Clothing in Carnaby Street, which is, I don't know if you know about Drop Dead Clothing, but... Um, yeah, I've definitely heard of them. It was on Carnaby Street, and it's run by Ollie Sykes, who's the lead singer of like a, used to be kind of like a death metal screamo band, and now they've gone a bit more of a mainstream, but millions of followers um but yeah it's you know we we've, we've been working with lots of amazing people like you say a mixture of people reaching out to us a mixture of us reaching out to people so for an example for us like we we really want to work with pantone because we every single issue that we do we we use pantone spot colors and i think we're a perfect collaboration um so you know I've re reached out to those guys and we're starting a conversation about working together on something. Um, but also it's a case of just being, I don't always put all of my eggs in one basket. So um, the in terms of on a, on a business level, I was always taught that you should always have around seven revenue streams to kind of have a really safe kind of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And each of those revenue streams should always kind of benefit each other somehow. So for instance, our products are sold on our shop and on our shop, we have other people that are on it, which creates a revenue stream. And then we have members, we have a directory, we have the print events. So I think we, I think we actually have about 13 revenue streams uh, that come in from different aspects. Um, and that creates a safety net because as soon as COVID hit, we lost 175,000 pounds of contracts in one day, bang, gone. And I was like, shit, we're gonna to have to liquidate the company. But then because we'd had other aspects of the company, which were able to leverage in a different way and adapt and move, like that's what saved us. 
otherwise we really would have gone under. Yeah, well, this is it. Like, I think one thing I read the other day was going back to Steve Jobs and Apple, him saying you connect the dots, but you can only connect the dots at the end. So you put all this great stuff out into the world like you've done and you're just like, let's try this, try this. And then at, you're like, but this all connects in some way and it all supports each other under one big. I call it an ecosystem. I just, I, you know, the way that I've split, set the company up is that every part of the company benefits the company in some other way. Yeah. So say for instance, through our subscriptions, we can offer, we can add value to our processing subscriptions by giving people free pin badges. And then that promotes pin badges in the same process. And, you know, so, um, you know, we've made, what have we done? We've got bone folders. Yeah, we've got these bone folders here. Um, so we, we have these like made of natural bone. And this actually came through the fact that the poster zine has folds in it. And the bone folder is made of natural bone and doesn't leave any residue when you're getting, when you're making creases or removing creases. Mm. It's actually a traditional tool for book bookmaking, bookbinding. So we've made like the official print isn't dead bone folder, you know, laser engraved downstairs. So we've got a company downstairs and they laser engrave it for us. We, we print all of the packaging ourselves and we ship it all out from the studio. And um, we've, we've sold hundreds of these, you know. So it's, um, again, I don't know if it's the brand or, you know, it's about the fact that it is, it's also relevant. Um, we're also working on some other cool projects. We're working on, I don't know if I can say, I don't know if I should say, we're, we're doing, we're doing print orientated goods, like creating a range of print orientated things. So like turning print isn't dead into more of a brand that in its field. So potentially working with black wing pencils, um, to, for auditioning your prints. We're doing stuff for mixing inks, maybe making our own set of inks, working with aprons, working with um, postal bags, working with tool bags. We're making one of um, Kelsey's, um, she did fashion at university, so they'll all be like hand sewn by her. Um, yeah, we're a cottage industry, really. We're a small company, but yeah. we do a lot of different things. And I suppose just we enjoy what we do. But I think that's it. Like you, you're so innovative. You're always thinking of different things you can do, different ways you can. Um, but it's, I just love your passion. I think that's what it is. Like you love print mm -hmm. and the print world. And that's what you do. And everyone that loves print is drawn to, to you and your brand and your company. And you're giving people what they want all the time. Yeah. So they're going to support it as well. Oh yeah. You should, you should see all of the books that I've got. Like I, I love to support independent publications. I'll, I mean, we get sent a lot of stuff anyway to the company. But if I see something that has come out and it just takes my fancy, I'll, I'll buy it straight away um, and support the independent kind of publishing model. Um, there was a girl that was at a Stack Magazine's talk and, you know, her, her magazine was about mental health. And I have a great affinity with that. My, my mother's been mentally ill since I, I was about 15. And, you know, I really care about um, being open and talking about it. So she didn't have enough money to print the issue. So I just gave her the money to print it. I was just like, here you go, print, 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 your, <laughs> print your retail magazine. Um, so I'm happy to just kind of support where I can with that um, kind of thing. And I just love, um, I love the, also uh, with, with print, I love the idea that um, with self-publishing, it's like total, 
you have total freedom. Whereas the traditional publishing model and other things like that, you, you do get whittled down. You know, I can't, I can't put anything explicit in something that's going to be in the Thames and Hudson book. Yeah, of course. Really, you know, so, you know, we've got, for instance, issue five of poster zine, Eric Kessel's, we've just got loads of pictures of men's dicks just measured against things. And it's just, that's his work that we're featuring it, but we would never have been able to put that in the Thames and Hudson book. Um, yeah. They, they worry about the sales of it and the, the fact that it goes on Amazon and blah, blah, blah. And they, they're, it, they're, they're very profit and only profit driven. And that is not how we function. No. Well, I'm going to have to go to the questions. I, I could talk to you for ages, actually. I'm always thinking of different things, but I'll let other people ask you some questions. But, um, okay. Right. So, um, to add, Pedro said to add on the plagiarism point, it's weird because people are quick to say, oh, this guy did this away before, so you can start their idea. But it's like saying that nobody else can ever think of that idea ever again. Yeah. So my, my view on this, right, is the internet has changed this a lot. And, and um, data, so let's just say, for instance, Instagram, Pinterest, people making pin boards, like these, these kind of, the way in which uh, people do their research now is very different from how I did it when I was at university. Because back in the day, I would have to like look for people's websites. And it was, we would actually go to people's websites, you know, well, people don't do that anymore so much. We'll go to their Instagram page. Yeah. And, and we'll go to, we'll, we can pin things based on things that are categorized and tagged and tagged and fed to us based off trends. So we can literally type, you know, there, I think there is even a website called Trend Board or Trend something or other, uh, Graphic Trend, I don't know. And it tells you, it's got like a little graph of like what is popular what was popular at a specific time. And, and it's, it's very crazy how um, every, uh, everything like that has kind of a knock-on effect into, I mean, look, look at like an, a big agency, right? They're not gonna go and put like an old David Carson, an old version of a David Carson thing on a new thing that's happening because they want to stay current and relevant. Whereas David Carson is changing his work and being more current and relevant now. I actually met him in, in Amsterdam and talking through the things that he's doing. He's not like collage work with his, his typography. And I, I love him, I think he's a great guy. But people will just, agencies will just look on Instagram and yeah. just go through it. And just, there are so many people that are imitating or doing work that's so similar to other people's work. Um, and that, that could just be a symptom, a symptom or like a, yeah, a problem, I suppose, of the way in which people are doing their research now. It's almost as if they're being told what is cool. They're being told what to do and how to do. I don't know. Like, so there's there there is there is naturally at the moment there is naturally so much work that looks so similar, especially in the design world and illustration world. Have have a look and 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 if you look through like you know obviously places like the AOI Association of Illustrators, uh, you've got different design agencies and illustration agencies. If you look through their portfolios through the years and the books that they would send out, you'll see a natural shift and change in it anyway. And it, it's almost as if it's you know. But um, 
on the point of it being very similar. So say for instance, um, we had an issue um, with, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, but apparently he, teach, he did this piece of artwork that says, never look directly at the sun. And the sun was the sun newspaper. Yeah. Right? Never look directly at the sun. Then we've got um, a friend by Harriet Richardson, who said never look like directly at the sun. She's obviously thought of the same pun herself. It was totally coincidental and it looks different, yet he proposed that it was, it was plagiarized. So in, in, in my head, I was like, right, I will inform, you know, I can't say whether it's been plagiarized or not. I will inform Harriet, uh, spoke to her and she was like, just to save any issues, just take it down from the site. It was actually on the graphic site as a sale for, you know, as a print for sale. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very tricky subject. Um, I've actually got a book here about intellectual property law. Um, you know, I'm very savvy legally because I got threatened to be sued by Playboy for £30,000 and I fought the case myself against Playboy and I won. Why were they trying to sue you? Because we featured the front cover of Kate Moss uh, for their 50th anniversary issue of Playboy. And it was by Mert and Marcus, the photographers. So we featured it from Mert and Marcus. They said, we leaked the images by going into the Playboy back end. We leaked the images into the public. When in fact, I went to the Mert and Marcus website and we put it on our site, which was specifically used for research and educational purposes. We didn't even have any ads on our site or anything like that. And they were accusing us of hindering their sales of their magazine when the magazine had sold out. So I used all this against them. I was like, how did, how did we hinder your sales? Because you sold out of the magazine. You know, and in fact, if you want to find out who leaked it, go to the Merton Marcus website because that's where it is published. And then I went to the Merton Marcus website and then it had watermarks all over it now because they've obviously been in trouble with, with, you know. with them for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this but is I wasn't that kind of legal about there. But um, it's, it's crazy, you know, because there's a weird, there's, I think it's called the Copyright, Copyright Act 1998. And then there was another clause added into it. And that's since websites like Tumblr, Instagram, blah, 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 you know, people share each other's work in a different manner now. Yeah. They share it in a different way. Um, and it's very, very difficult to, um, for instance, we share people's work because we want to grow the community. And everyone always says, thank you for sharing the work. We've had somebody come to us and say, take it down. Why are you using our image? All you're doing is growing your platform. It's like, well, we're growing the platform for the greater good of the design community. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah, plagiarism is a very deep and long subject. And I think that you definitely know if it has been directly plagiarized. You just know. Um, well, like the, the phrase, don't look directly at the sun or whatever. That's just... a the it's not like a like a yeah but then but then you get people like johnny banger sports banger does the upside down reebok logo claims himself as a bootlegger absolutely love the guy doesn't you know at the start of his company didn't deliver any of his t-shirts out for like four months people would be like where's my thing and he would screen grab their thing and be like oh now you you know think of it and then he would say stuff like think of waiting for like a custom porsche you know this you know and it is he just hadn't done it yet or whatever, you know, but look yeah. how much he's done for himself, you know, he's absolutely, I, I would love, I love sports banger and what they've done, what they've created. We did the, the Nike NHS issue and then that, you know, so the, 
that is a blatant copyright issue. That's not plagiarism, that's a copyright issue. And he dealt with the lawyers and then all of the money that he made from it, he donated into the local area to food banks during the crisis and all of this kind of stuff. So it couldn't have been used for a commercial basis. It was actually, it was, it was almost like a, a form of anarchy or whatever it is, or rebellion against the system for the greater good of people. And that, I think what he's done is an amazing thing. But I, I just don't like someone just copying someone straight off, you know what I mean? Like, bang, there's my version of it, there's the other, maybe change the colour slightly. Um, well, that's just ripping someone else's work off, isn't it? And trying to pass it off as your own. And, like, that's mm. always a big issue. Whenever I'm advising people and they put together their portfolios, it's like, always be crystal clear what your involvement was on a project mm -hmm. as yeah. well. Rather yeah. than was this solely, like, your idea um, from concept to completion, who else was involved? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been accused of plagiarism um, for a set of research pins that we did, um, which was actually made by an illustrator in Seattle, Washington, called Jordan. And they were already in the process of being made. And what we wanted to do was create a set of pins for our site that are all like Riso characters, screen print characters, and have this whole set of print-orientated pins because we were a print-orientated company. And he was just like, we reached out to him and he, he was like, no, um, I want, you know, he, want, he wants to sell them himself or whatever. I don't know what he said. But then he accused, accused us of like copying his idea of creating like a Riso printer as a character. But, you know, we've got more of that. I mean, look at Doppelpress, look at Risotto. They've all got like a little Riso character. Yeah. You know, we're starting up another website called Riso Club reso.club with with doppelpress and we're commissioning someone maybe like gyro bevis to do like a little reso character i've commissioned jim stoughton the illustrator to uh, a heidelberg press an albion press a litho press you know as characters that's not plagiarism that's briefing an artist and letting them do their own thing you know yeah definitely so yeah it's it's a, it's a tricky subject um it's not very nice when you're accused of it um, and you have to kind of defend it because, it, you know, if there are similarities, um, it's hard to get away from that, isn't it? There are similarities. Some of these things are coincidental, like the colours that we use, the CMYK, which are the print colours. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's a tricky subject. Um, I would just advise anybody to... I don't know, just do your own work. And if you know that it isn't, if you know that you're not copying someone, then you're all right, aren't you? Because you know that you haven't done it. But I suppose there's a case of researching as well and trying to make something not the same. But it's just such a big world. There's so much design out there at the moment. There's like, you, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to it. Like, just don't do it. Just don't do it directly. Um, do your own work. And if it is coincidental, it is coincidental. And you can always negotiate with the other person that has a problem and not make it an issue. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. So my last question for you is what future projects should we look out for? What exciting things immediately? Because uh, you've got so much going on, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, so... Um, Graphic is going to be, you know, I've put a lot of effort into graphic. We've got another staff member now in graphic. We've yeah. um, done really well. We've got some amazing things coming out. We've just launched a pair of socks. <laughs> just okay, a nice. A pair of graphic stocks. Yeah, go to graphic.net. G-R-A-F-I-K.net. 
mm -hmm. graphic, like graphic magazine. So we've got graphic editions, which is going to be ongoing. We're going to be adding loads of new people, doing interviews with them. Uh, if you want to submit your artwork to be potentially featured on there, we get, we have a fair deal where you either go 50-50 on the profits or you can you can give us 75% or a full donation if you want it to go there, but we always offer the 50-50 option as well. Um, and then we're going to be bringing out lots of new products, uh, a huge amount of new products that we're looking at um, that are all going to be relevant to the print community and the design community. Um, We've got some pretty interesting collaborations coming up. Like I said, what the night things coming out. Um, the late, the latest issues that are quite late. They're late out actually um, because of Christmas and COVID and whatever. But the Ed Templeton issue is out. We've also worked with Casey Cowell, who's absolutely incredible. Love this work here. These are the latest two issues that have just come out. Um, We've got some, we've got a big list of people for posterzine sorted, including Richard Kern, um, quite a controversial character in the photography world, I suppose. We haven't really featured many photographers, but um, we've got in perpetual publishing. We've got five projects lined up for that. So if anyone has an idea for a book or magazine or a zine, we can help you through that whole process. All of these links are on peopleofprint.com at the top. Um, apart from peopleofprint.store. That's the only one that we haven't linked up properly yet because we're still working on it. And department store version 5 million is coming out. Like it's just been through so many different changes. And like I say, it's, it's coming out very soon. We've been working so hard on it to make it user friendly because what actually happened is um, the, it, it was an app that was built into a shop. And then the people who developed the app removed the app they gave us they gave us a month's notice so we had like 500 sellers and then we had to migrate all these people over onto a whole new platform so we've opted from magento with custom php and a custom build and it's just been the longest hardest most stressful thing that i've ever done in my life yeah but it will be worth it when we're all very very close to launching it's all automated so payments or are split you know so our commission is taken and we don't hold any payments um, the shipping costs are easier to enter. The, the, the whole site is super stable and great. It's, that's a really cool thing. Um, and then obvious, obviously keep an eye out for Graphic Mag when we, when we launch that as a campaign. Um, I'm hoping that we can get that up and running, stable, biannual magazine um, and to do it proud, you know, like I, I really, I really want, you know, I, what I don't want is the graphic community to go you have sabotage graphic yeah yeah you've got big pressure on your shoulders here of like delivering it and everybody to say yeah you done do but the thing is if we've got like some excellent writers and we're featuring the best design studios alongside emerging and also keeping um our eye out for an extreme divert you know the diversity and inclusiveness thing is huge for us at the moment um featuring BIPOC artists, we have a BIPOC grant. Um, people of all uh, di disabilities, sexualities, anything, like they're totally, totally welcome to submit or take part in anything that we do. Um, and, we, and that's a very important thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, hopefully it's just gonna be like a bigger and better version of what graphic was when it comes out. Um, obviously less issues, 
Um, but th that gives us a safety net because we've got longer between each issue to design it, make sure it's right, get it all done well. And I suppose my uh, asset to graphic would be the fact that I've got excellent print connections as well as the kind of community of design administrators. So like we're going to be making them ex extremely special, putting like nice spot colours in, different paper stocks, doing all sorts of different things with it. So amazing! Well, thank you so much, your time, Mark Roy. I really enjoyed that, and thank you everyone that tuned in. And um, yeah, good luck. Thanks for having me, Nikki. <laughs> no worries. Have a good one.